Bernie Johnson's the nicest guy in the world. But the stuff he's taking on in his personal life, that's why we all respect him. But he we had two kids, um, a boy and a girl, and that seemed again like, hey, here comes the script. Until my wife watches the ABC uh, show 2020, and this is back in 1990, 91, and here's the story of these Romanian orphans being warehoused, uh, many of them because of their imperfections, because of their disabilities, because of their handicaps, and they're just forgotten. I came home from work one day and Cheryl's like, you know what we need to do? I think we need to go to Romania and get one of these kids out of that orphanage. Like, oh. And see, look, I kind of gave it that because I know Cheryl and I know as we were dating, and I'm in, I'm out there working, she's still in college at Mercer, and she's working her way through college, working a couple of jobs, and when she's not working, she's in the Big Sisters program, mentoring this teenage girl down there in Macon. So look, I knew her heart. Uh, this didn't fit the script, but it fit our lives, somehow. Anybody out there who's, who's been through the adoption process knows about the paperwork that's involved and about the background checks and the home studies. They want to know, do you want to adopt a boy? Do you want to adopt a girl? How old should they be? How about handicaps? That kind of thing. And, and so our decision was little girl, under a year old, no permanent handicaps, some, you know, and, then, and that's the way we wrote the script, because that's what we could handle. And as it turns out, um, Cheryl goes there, and the first orphanage that she visits uh, in this village outside of Bucharest, um, they bring out, the nurses bring out this little boy who's almost three, can't walk, can't talk and lots of developmental delays. We're on the phone, and she says, so, you know, I, I think I've found a child to adopt. And, and she goes into this description. That's not exactly, you know, that's not what we kind of talked about. It's not what we told the the agency, you know, and, you know, I, I'll never forget what she said. I mean, it's like, she said, Ernie, I just don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to that little boy in that orphanage in Romania. And the nurse who had brought this boy out looked at Cheryl and said, boy is no good. And look, I don't, I mean, every, I've told this story a million times and I still have trouble getting through it because I, I don't know exactly what was going on in my mind at that very second when she said, I just don't know what I'll do if, 
you know, I can go through the rest of my life wondering what happened to that boy. But there was something in her voice and knowing her heart. I just said, we'll bring him home. Sometimes over a scratchy phone line, halfway around the world, you just know. And then the unscripted continued to happen. You take him to the doctor and within a year, and they tell you he's got muscular dystrophy. And then they tell you he's got the worst kind, Duchenne. There's no cure. And then you say, should we have stuck to the script? And that's just honest. I mean, that's just, you do. You Sometimes you question yourself. had people ask me, he said, but I guess if you had known he had muscular dystrophy when Cheryl was there, you wouldn't have done it. I mean, I struggled with how to answer it without hurting somebody's feelings. So we already had two kids, and we have absolutely no guarantee that 10 minutes from now, the phone's not going to ring and it's going to be some catastrophic situation that's going to change our lives totally. If I get that phone call, am I supposed to say, I knew we never should have had that kid. No, we never should have had children if this was going to happen. No, you don't do that. You just say, how are we going to deal with this? Not, I wish we hadn't done it. You know, we adopt him when he's almost three. He didn't say a word till he was eight. One day when he was eight years old, he went, Mike. And then it was... Love you too, his favorite thing to say. You don't have to tell him first. He will tell you when he meets you. Love you too. And, and uh, you know, I just think that that comes from a lot of years of, while he couldn't speak, he heard it a lot. He heard it on our, around our family because it was said all the time. And he picked that up. So he's in high school and, you know, he's tooling around in his chair and and the first varsity basketball coach is this guy from Indiana, you know, a basketball hotbed who's come down to football country to coach high school basketball. His name is Phil Bolier. And, and Phil is in the hallways at Mill Creek High School and hears this wheelchair, the whir of this wheelchair, and he kind of follows that sound and it's Michael going into his room. And Phil goes in there and, and starts talking to him. And then Phil turns to leave and go out to the trailer where he teaches. And Michael says, love you too which causes Coach Bolier to stop and turn on his heel and say, what? Love you too, Bolier. I get a note in Michael's backpack from this basketball coach. I'd never met him. I'm Phil Bolier. I'm the new head basketball coach at Mill Creek High School. I met your son today. He's got to be on my team. You realize he's in a wheelchair, correct? You know. So we sit and we meet in the parking lot at Mill Creek. And I said, tell me what's up. What do you want to do? He says, he said, I need your son to teach my players two things, maximum effort and a heart for others. He said, maximum effort because, you know, he can't do much, but everything he can do is with everything he's got and, and, and heart for others because this love you too thing is awesome. He said, I want him teaching my players love you too. So 
he would go to all the games. He'd sit right behind the bench, right behind Coach Bolier, and uh, before the games, he'd be in the locker room, and the players would all put their hands on his hand and say, one, two, three, Hawks, and they'd take the floor. And this tells you about the impact that Michael had through Coach Bolier, because this whole love you too thing was being taught in the classrooms too. Anybody know what this means? It means I love you in sign language. And if you if you tip your index finger at that person you're talking to, it means love you too. And on senior night, Michael goes up to get his blanket, and we're standing behind him as he's driving his chair. And they come out and they give it to him, and folks cheer, and I look up in this student section in the corner, and they're all standing like this. And I think, Only God connects dots like this. Only God takes a basketball coach from Indiana, puts him in Hushton, Georgia, and takes a kid from Urza Chanu in a Romanian orphanage and sticks him in Hushton, Georgia, and sticks them together in a gym and teaches a bunch of high schoolers in big old Gwinnett County, love you too. Father God, as we get into your word this morning, we want to hear from you deeply. Lord, we don't want to just ease our way through a Sunday and be unaffected. So Lord, change us. Lord, speak over us. Remind us, God, of who you are and how desperately you love us. God, thank you for what you're going to do in this time together. May you be heard. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. John 1 starts differently than most books of the Bible. The only other time we get a start like John 1 is Genesis 1. It's the only time we get these moments like this that are rich in history that we couldn't even participate in. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of His fullness... 
We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the only one and only Son, who himself, God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made known. John 1 is an interesting passage because it reveals so much of what we need to hear today. I saw recently that the human population just keeps climbing closer and closer to this 8 billion number. And if statistics are true, if the world is 33% Christian, meaning they believe and profess that Jesus is the only way, that would mean that only 2 billion of the population knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, this passage is saying that those in Christ are made sons and daughters of God. They are, they are orphans no longer. They are adopted. You just heard Ephesians 3 read from the stage how God loves us so much that he adopts us as his own. That would mean that today our world sits with somewhere around 6 billion people who will live this day without any hope, without any grace, without any truth. The statistic is the same, by the way, for the state of Texas. That only 33% of the state of Texas professes a belief in Jesus Christ. So let's just play that game with Amarillo, Texas again. Anybody know the latest number of population for Amarillo? We can guess, right? We're, we're climbing consistently towards that 200 number. We, we're not there yet, but let's just play that number out. Let's just say that's where we are. It's not, but let's, let's say that's where we are. Is nobody else bothered by the fact that that would mean that in our population base, that over 100,000 Amarillo people are going to go to bed tonight without any faith in Jesus Christ? Because I don't know about y'all, but every single day the paper prints names in the obituary section. Every day. You see, this is why there's an urgency. And this is why from the very beginning, God stepped in and made a way. Because as it moves our hearts and as it stirs our emotion to think about, imagine God's heart when he sees his world he created. I I saw a statistic as well that said that there's some 437 children who are out there right now without a home in the United States. Of that, they say that today, at any given time, a quarter of that is ready for adoption. You just imagine for a second, if you will, with me. And I I, want to take it one more step. Because I want you to see it. Because there's some unbelievable people in this room who have adopted. And they pay a price for that. They pay a price with money, they pay a price with time, with their homes, with their other children's relationships. 
And they pay a, a special price in their hearts for adopting children. So do me a favor if you're in this room, and if you don't want to, it's okay. But if you've adopted a child, would you raise your hand? You know, as we were listening to Ernie's testimony, I knew y'all were in the room. You know how I knew? Because things that Ernie said in his testimony, you felt. You have. Now, here's the other part of that. The cost is big. But I can promise you the same people in this room that have adopted children would pay it again. You know why? Love. Love makes cost dwindle out. Love is big. And I can promise you this, there's times where these parents who have adopted are not always the happiest. They're stressed. They're pulled back and forth. Don't believe me? Talk to them. But I can promise you for certain, every single one of them will tell you the same thing that you should adopt. They'll tell you that. You'll look and go, well, why would you? And I believe that something happens to Christian parents that adopt. They're given the opportunity to see the heartbeat of God. Amen. From the beginning, Jesus was. So what Genesis, uh, John 1 tells us. From the beginning, Jesus was. No matter your thoughts or your background or th your theology, I want you to know this. You were created for God and by God. Amen. You're created in him and without him, you are not. So do me a favor, real quick. Take your left hand. Okay, I was just, that was a test, by the way, to see if y'all would raise your right hand as a mirror. And then I, I just want you to do me a favor. Make it the L right here with your hand. Now, with your other hand, I want you to reach over and just pinch that little fatty part as hard as you can. Just give it a good, mm. you're alive, right? You were created by God in his image. You were created, and what's more than that, you were just not created and then left alone. You were created and loved by God. For God so loved the world. Don't lose that word. You're loved by God so much that he would send his best and only for you. A divine exchange of broken and worn out for holy. Because of that, God loved you so much. He didn't want to just leave you out there. Because he saw you on 2020. And he loved you. Enemy says this about us, that we're no good. We're broken. There's no fixing us. And Jesus says, bring him home. I'll take him. I'll take her. I love them. I can take care of them. Every morning, uh, Ernie shared this with me, that at nighttime, he works from about 10 p.m. until 2 a.m., 
It's the time where all of his family's going to bed and he can work. He can watch the end of basketball games and he can call people he needs to call, but he can write during that time. He, uh, he works during that time because he knows at that time there's a nurse that comes in and spends time with his son so that he can focus on work. But every morning, Ernie Johnson gets up and he helps take care of his son. It's, it's a labor of love because he has to shave his son, he has to bathe his son. He can't just pick him up out of bed, he's a grown man. So he has to put something underneath him to lift him up out of bed and put him into a wheelchair. Nothing's easy about that existence. Nothing is simple. Nothing is, I just can't imagine what it would look like to wake up every day to that burden. But what love does is it takes away burden and it replaces it with itself. Love. You and I and our sin is not too big that God cannot take it. He is strong enough and loving enough to awaken our souls, to cleanse us, to prepare us. Aren't you thankful? And me too. God saves us because he is good. You know, Ernie's story is interesting because his wife, when she gets there, she saw more kids than just their son. By the way, their son is not the last child they adopted. Remember he said they had two natural-born children. Did you notice the picture of his children at the end of that? They have six now. Two natural-born, four adopted. You know what Ernie doesn't say? I've got two children and four adopted children. He says, I have six children. Most amazing thing about the gospel is this. God sent his only son to a world, and now he has sons and daughters. You and I, in Christ, are given the rights to be called sons and daughters of God. Nothing we could earn. Ernie's son could not earn the right to be in the Johnson family. He, he didn't do anything to gain that. He didn't call 2020 and say, listen, I'm a young child that can't talk, that the world thinks is broken, so come rescue me. He couldn't even get those words out. No one was speaking for him. But when she showed up and she saw his eyes, it changed her heart. When the Lord looks at us, he sees himself because we were created in his image. Now, I'll tell you this. When parents adopt, it's not easy, especially at first. It's certainly not easy. There's things that happen. Children test their parents. Even biological children test their parents. You can just imagine coming into a new world. They're going to test. They're going to check their boundaries. They're going to check and see if they will really be loved or not. And I found myself thinking of my own soul and my own heart. How many times I must look like a stubborn child to God. Who is simply just telling him, 
I'm just testing my boundaries, God. I just want to see how much I can get away with, God. I just want to see if you'll respond, God. And you know what God responds with? Discipline and love, like a parent. He's so good that he can treat us like a good father. The world always struggles to identify its source. If you and I are created in God's image, but yet we can't find ourselves in him, we're struggling with our true source. I believe with all of my heart that my generation is struggling more than any generation before it with trying to find our source. We're running towards wealth, we're running towards security, we're running towards relationships, and we're leading the nation. And none of us can figure out why it's not working out. We found the wrong source. When you struggle with the wrong source of your life, something will happen. Eventually, what you pursue the most will become your identity and will become your source. I've got dear brothers today that are pursuing as much power and wealth as they can, and they're running on empty. They don't see it. They've got good families. But they're pursuing other sources, and they can't figure out why right now they don't feel connected to God. We can all agree in this room, and let me give you a warning. God will let you run towards other sources, and then he'll let you go to empty on them but he'll be there like a good parent. I was one of those kids. My first car was a 1970s Cadillac Eldorado. Praise the Lord. (laughs) It was like me, cowboys that went to rodeos and drug dealers. Those are the only three people that owned 1970s Cadillac Eldorados. Um, I remember when my dad brought it home, he had spent $100 on it. That's what it cost to own a 1970s Cadillac Eldorado. It didn't run. Its tires were bad. And it was the color of dirt. I was trying to find, we're in church, dirt. It was terrible. It had the leather hood back. You know what I'm talking about? Like the guy that didn't want to shave his head even though he was going bald. That Cadillac Eldorado. And it was all weathered out. So my dad said, let's get to work. We pulled it into the garage. We took off the bumper and we pulled the engine out. And we worked and we worked and we worked. And then it ran. And we got it painted brown again. (laughs) Didn't read anything to the leather part because... No one wanted to spend that much money. And I'll never forget this. My dad said, it's time for tires, Kyle. And I said, yeah. And he goes, you're paying for them. I had to buy my own first set of tires. And he said, see how much that cost? Do not sit out there and spin your tires because you'll pay for the next set again. I hated that car. I think I could have run over landmines in that car and it wouldn't have done anything to that car. It's back when they built cars out of metal. I know many of us don't understand that anymore because we like fuel economy. Um, That car didn't care about fuel. 
It was like, may I have another, please? But one thing I will say that I learned is this. In that car, when it got to about a quarter of a tank, you had to fill up. Because the gas gauge didn't leave a quarter of a tank. Because it was old and worn out. But in my mind, I went, I filled up yesterday. I can still drive another three days. Empty. And then you know what happens when you run out of gas in a Cadillac Eldorado, 1970s edition? You begin to be one of those guys that drives to the rodeo. And it stops. And then you have to push it. You ever push the 1970s Cadillac Eldorado? Listen, I grew up in Odessa. Everything's flat until you have to push a 1970s Cadillac Eldorado. It only takes a few times until you realize you don't want to run out of gas again. I've said it in this room before. I, when it gets to a quarter of a tank today in my new car, I go fill up. Now, my car can go all the way to empty and even tells me how many miles I have left. Isn't that awesome? But I don't trust it. Some of y'all have much more faith in cars than I do. Some trust in Cadillacs, others in Kias, but I'll trust in making sure I've got gasoline. Uh, I want you to hear it for a second. God's going to let you run. And he's going to watch you run close to empty time and time again. And you're going to feel the effects of it. Some of you have, and some of you are today, feeling the effects of running on empty with God. And yet you're still going in the wrong direction. So let me give you three keys you're running on empty. Number one, your relationships will end. Your Christian relationships and your relationship with your church will end. That's how you know you're running on empty. Fellowship will run out because the enemy wants you to be isolated. He'll steal your relationships. You know how you know you're about to run into a brick wall of sin? You run on your own. Don't believe me? Try it. Some of y'all know that testimony personally like I do. You'll be isolated. The second, you'll have no time for scripture. You'll find yourself going, I don't have time. When am I going to have time to spend time with God? I've got all this stuff to do. When does God think I have time? And he's going he's to let you run into that wall. So as you realize that time you spent watching TV, you should have spent time with him. You'll be isolated. You'll quit spending time in his word. And you'll forget how to pray. Last night, I sat up here with John Mickey. He and I were praying over the sanctuary together. He left out. And uh, I, I, when I pray over the sanctuary at night, especially, I put in my headphones and I don't pay attention to who's around. I do that so I can pray openly and not care if you hear me or not. So I put in my headphones, and I was sitting here on the front row, and I was praying, and the Lord said, take your headphones out. Um, and I was like, uh-uh. And so I was like, fine. I took my headphones out, and he said, pray out loud. And I, I don't mind praying with you guys in the room. Uh, I like corporate prayer. I think everybody should learn to corporately pray. There's something about strengthening other people's relationships when they hear your walk with the Lord. Um, but I was alone in this building, and I don't know if y'all have ever been in our church sanctuary at night. Uh, when it's late, it's open, and, and you don't know if anybody's walking around. And so I sat in here, and I was like, okay, okay, Lord, thank you so much for this day. And he goes, louder. I heard this in my soul, and so I was like, fine. And the first words out of my mouth were this, you're done. 
You're done attacking our church. You're done coming after our people. You're done lying to them and stealing from them. You're done. We're done seeing you take any victories over our lives. You can't have our people. You can't have the church's testimony. You can't touch anything anymore. Because he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. You are done. And as I sat in this room, uh, I sat in this room and I want to tell y'all that it was like this spiritual high moment that I was like, yes, super Christian. But I sat there in fear. And I was like, what? I almost started texting people saying, y'all got to come to the church. Then God said, do it again. And so I just looked at the back of the sanctuary, stood up right there and just said, you're done. You can't have our church. You can't have our people. You can't touch anything else that's not yours. They're God's. And he's stronger than you. He's better than you. He loves us. You're done. And I'm just telling you guys, I, I'm not this, this like super crazy guy I don't believe. But I can tell you that the enemy's on the run. And it's not because I'm a super person that we have any special superpowers. But he is good. And he loves us desperately. And he is just as tired of the enemy having his way as we are. He's a good father. He is a good father and he loves you desperately. Listen, he is so sick of us taking losses. He is so sick of us living in defeat. He is so sick of us running on empty. And today, he's calling us back and saying, I've adopted you. I'm your dad. Quit running to your stupid friends. <laughs> Quit listening to the lies that you're hearing. Run to me. I'm good. I'm good. So I'm not going to finish the notes, so y'all can put those away. The hardest thing I think would be in the world of an adopted parent, and I'm speaking from speculation, would be that moment of, you are not my parent. Today, when you're confronted by a loving Jesus who has adopted you into his family, and he's calling you to holiness, to completeness in him, to fulfillment in everything that he has, does he hear from us, you are not my parent? Or today, is he hearing from us? I've got nothing. I've got nowhere else to go. I have no name. Lord, may your name be our name. Lord, may we fall in love with being in your family. And may we see the significance of Jesus' blood shed for us, not just that we would have eternal life, but that we would finally have a name. Let's pray together. Father, you were from the beginning the name we needed. We were broken. We were no good. And the world had had its way with us.
today, Lord, we just say jointly together, we are so sick of what the enemy and the world has tried to give us. It's led us to empty way too many times. And Father, my heart wants to echo your heart. You are good and you fill our lives. So Lord, forgive us when we've run on the emptiness of, that this world has to offer, the brokenness that it promises. And Lord, may, may we see the signs coming that say we have run towards empty and we have lost when we should have won in you. God, may our hearts be broken with the fact that we, we live with lost neighbors and lost coworkers and lost classmates and we don't even show up with the name that you gave us. Cleanse us today, God. Remind us today that the name of Jesus is great and his sacrifice is worthy to not only cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but to give us a name and a family. Lord, thank you that you love us and have always and made a place and a way for us. May we listen to your heart today. Lord, if we need you, may we make that step today. God, if we need family, would we say it today? And God, may we never be silent again. May we never give the enemy another victory again. You are the victor. Lord, thank you that we can be called your sons and daughters. God, may this time and this moment as we worship you be a time of sacrifice and obedience to you. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Today is the day to remind ourselves that we have a God that loves us and that he gave himself for us. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is your adoption day. Today is your day to come home. When the world has said you are no good, God said you don't have to be good. I am good and you're coming home with me. Amen. You are loved by God. You're treasured by him. And today you can know him. Reject sin. Throw it away. It's an empty tomb. It is, you're going to run empty with sin. If you don't get rid of it and you say, I'm not taking that in my tank anymore, you're going to keep going back to it. Today is the day to go, I'm done with that. I need Jesus. And today, if that's you, you come and you let us know this morning, I need Jesus. I'm tired of running on emptiness. Today, if you know Jesus, today's a reminder that you're loved. Today is a reminder that he desperately loves you. And maybe today you would be reminded Lord, show me a world that needs Jesus like I do. No matter what it is, I believe right now we need to worship like we're children. We need to worship like we serve a God who loves us and gave us his name. It's time to quit worshiping like we're in a rock concert. It is the time to worship like we're bought, loved, children bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's really worship him right now. Let's quit trying. Let's leave this room lit on fire. And let's tell the enemy we serve a great God who loves us, who we call Father. You ready to worship the Lord? Me too. Let's worship him.